Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Uh, we are not talking about football today because there's a far more pressing matter, which is that Penn State basketball uh, is not good for Penn State basketball. It is good just period. Uh, on today's episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Chad Markulich. Chad, what's going on? Living the dream, literally. And Eric Gibson. Eric, are you also living the dream, literally? Yeah, I'm just now realizing that uh, Penn State has a basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> All those years of being a Penn State football and Villanova basketball fan are finally coming up to bite Eric in the rear. Uh, of course, we're joking around because, as all of you know, we've done this pod plenty of times in the past, but it's been a hot minute since we've done uh, one of these. We believe the last one uh, came last year when after Penn State fell uh, to Purdue on January 31st to drop to 7-14 and on the year and 0-10 in Big Ten play. Since then, that season wrapped up. Penn State ended the year pretty well. Came to this year a bit of uh, uncertainty, but off to you know, the Penn State basketball, uh, what we normally expect, and what they've turned into is one of the best teams in the nation. Currently, they get 18-5, and five, number 14 in Ken Palm, uh, number 22 in uh, the AP Top 25 rankings, 19 in net, and 10th in Bart Torvik. The team is 8-4 and four in conference play, putting them one game back of Maryland, and I just want to kind of roll the ball out here and let us get to talking about something that I joked about on the blog Twitter account yesterday, which is that every single year we go into the season saying that this year is going to be different for Penn State basketball. Last year we got an 0-10 start in conference play to kind of hammer in. It wasn't going to be the case last year. But Eric, I'll start with you. What has been kind of the catalyst for this turnaround for the program, and why has this year truly been different compared to what we normally expect out of Penn State? Uh, well, this year is clearly the depth of the team. Um, the stars kind of aligned for them, you know, after last year's uh, trying season, starting out 0-10 in the Big Ten um, you know, it wasn't that long ago where, you know, everyone wanted Chambers out of here. And, um, you know, they, they were able to finish last year very strongly, had a, an incredible midseason turnaround, um, won seven of the last ten regular season games, um, which kind of helped calm the masses. Obviously, it calmed the um, administration. They were willing to retain him, um, which opened the door f- for – uh, Chambers to bring back some talented players like Lamar Stevens. You know, it's been well documented um, this whole season that he's returned for his senior year. Um, you know, they were able to get Mike Watkins back as well. He had a um, not so great junior season last year, coming off that injury and then um, opening up about his bipolar um, condition and just he wasn't the same. He didn't look like the same um, pro prospect he did in his underclassmen years. So. Being able to get those two guys back and then adding to that with, um, you know, last year they had a bunch of freshman guards. Those, a lot of those guards became sophomores, although they did lose Rob Bolton, and we'll talk about that. Um, but, you know, getting Stevens and getting Watkins back, adding um, Isaiah Brockington, adding Curtis Jones um, in the backcourt along with Myron Jones and, and Miles Dredd, um, 
they have the pieces, and this is without a doubt uh, Pat Chambers' most talented roster, his most experienced roster. Um, plenty of continuity from last year. They were able to build off their strong finish from last year um, to to get to where they are. Now, all of a sudden, they are um, Big Ten title contenders, which is uh, a pretty remarkable turnaround. Um, I, I don't really know. I mean, you. I don't know how you would even search for this, but to find a team to go 0-10, coach on the hot seat, to turn around and winning – Potentially winning the Big Ten champ, uh, Big Ten title, regular season title is pretty pretty absurd. I, I don't know where you would find an, a previous example in college basketball, but um, I would definitely say you got to you got to credit the uh, the continuity and retaining Stevens and Watkins. That's obviously the biggest part of why they're competing right now. It, it's storybook stuff. I mean, what we've seen out of historical. I don't want to say cellar dweller of a program, but not exactly the most prominent program in all of college basketball. Chad, I, you can I, say cellar dweller. Okay, That's I'll fair. say I'll say cellar dweller. Uh, Chad, I want to open that question up to you. Uh, what about this team, in your estimation, whether it's something that Eric didn't mention or whether it's something that you really want to reinforce, is different compared to the Penn State teams of years past? No, I definitely agree. It's the quality depth that we have that Penn State has that sets them apart from other teams. You know, they can lose, you know, for example, Myron Jones missed this past weekend's game against Minnesota with an illness. And it was, you know, just next man up. Didn't really miss a beat, I didn't think. Um, came out in the first half and dominated on uh, the defensive end against Minnesota. And obviously they um, let Daniel Turu and Marcus Carr go at him in the second half. But again, they just have the quality depth to be able to throw out who has, whoever's playing well at the time. You know, yesterday it was... Isaiah Brockington, some games it's Curtis Jones, um, some games it's Miles Dredd, and they just have this, you know, ability. They have a belief. This Penn State program has not had, you know, watching the Chambers years and even a lot of the 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 Chellis years. There's just not a belief, um, you know, because they are Penn State and they are cellar dwellers, and at some level that that sense of oh we're Penn State we're not supposed to win this game kind of creeps into your psyche uh, after a while i'm sure it's pretty difficult to get rid of um, but pat's found a way with this team with this talent um with you know whatever schemes they're they've cooked up for this season they're working um, the ball movement seems to be a lot better on offense this is a, a easily pat's best offense he's had just as good of defense as i think um in his time at penn state but this it's everything's clicking on offense it help, of course it helps to have you know a, a really talented senior in lamar stevens being the focal point of your offense and um, you know, attracting a lot of attention from other teams, but credit to, you know, everybody on the coaching staff to, to figure out how to best get Lamar in uh, positions for success and, you know, surrounding him with teammates who can deliver if he's not having a great game. I don't think he's even played his best basketball. I mean, just until recently this year, I don't think he's really had the senior um, moments in big games until... I'd say the last two weeks, especially against Michigan State and Minnesota. But um, Eric, do you think Lamar's been like the best? Yeah, no, he's ever you're been? not wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I've kind of been waiting to see him look like he did in February last year, where he really um, took command of that team and went on a tear and got himself first team All Big Ten honors. Um, I think it was the coaches that selected him. I can't remember, but. Um, yeah, he was he was downright dominant in that March or in that February of last year. 
Um, and I feel like we didn't really see that too much this year. Um, but like you said, he definitely – I mean, he's going to be Big Ten Player of the Week tomorrow. We'll see how he's not. Penn State went 2-0. He scored 24 against Michigan State, 33 against Minnesota, career high. Um, so he's definitely turning it up. And it's kind of following um, – the same seasons he had as a junior and a, and a sophomore, where he's kind of he's finishing the, the season strong, um, which is really incredible. Like if you think about it, like with how many minutes this guy has logged, he's never been hurt his entire career. Um, he started every game. He's just done nothing but produce for him. I think he's got thirty. I don't even know what the number is anymore. How many consecutive double-digit games he's um, scored this year? I know he hasn't scored in single digits at all this year. Um, yeah, he's incredible, and, and at this rate, you know, we're we're tracking to see where he's going to end up in the record books. Is he going to be, um, you know, he's got a great chance to catch Taylor Battle to be the program's all-time leading scorer. Um, he's got a, a great chance to crack the top five in Big Ten history as far as um, a top five um, all-time leading scorer in Big Ten history, which is pretty insane. So, um, you know, it's like you know, Bill said it's a storybook ending for him. It's it absolutely is. You know, he's stuck here for all four years. Um, you know, I don't necessarily buy it's all because he likes the college. I mean, I guess, you know, I'm getting a little kind of, I don't want to say irritated, but it's just kind of annoying to hear, um, you know, everyone jumping on the narrative that, oh, he came back for the college experience and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, I think each individual basketball player's circumstances are different. I, th- I don't think people are like purposely trying to take a shot at like a Tony Carr or something, but really the, the majority of, of, players that actually have prospects of making the NBA. A lot of them are leaving early. I mean, and it's not just Penn State. Um, there's plenty of kids. I mean, I don't have the numbers or the, the, the data here, but there's plenty of kids who are leaving early and are not making it past the G League because um, some of them are still going to just collect that paycheck. It might not be a million-dollar paycheck. doesn't mean um, they made the wrong decisions for themselves. Everyone just kind of assumes that staying in college is, is what you should do. Um, so I think each – each kid's different, but for Lamar, you know, he wanted to come back. He wanted to, to you know, leave his mark on the program, and he's absolutely doing that um, this senior season. I think like 15 years ago, with the way the NBA's gone, I think Lamar would have gone early just because, you know, he doesn't really have that three-point shot, and the NBA is so dependent on your threes and fours being able to shoot from three-point range. So it kind of lucked out that, the NBA yeah, yeah, I'm not sure what like kind of approach Yeah, I uh, w- he's shooting 27 percent from three, and he's uh, yeah. Clearly, we've yeah. seen his four year. The shot is it, not yeah it, NBA level. He he's someone three, who he, I would bet he's someone who's going to have. Uh, and this is sometimes used as like a knock against certain guys, but I absolutely don't mean it that way. He's going to have a really long career overseas, like just his way to how he's able to bully guys, uh, the way he's able to rebound, the way he's able to block some shots, get to the free throw line. He has a lot of stuff working for him, but unless he uh, you know, goes to Houston Rockins' three-point shooting minicamp, he's not – like I'm skeptical of that. But I, I, I do think – and Eric is right. Obviously, a lot of the times with, with kids, the main thing – that will drive their decision is whether or not it's the right time to go pro. Like Lamar does legitimately seem like he, he does want to be here. He does want to have a really important legacy on and off the court. Like all this stuff this past week about uh, the children's book that he worked on. Like it just seems like there's something about being part of a community in college basketball that he really appreciates. And uh, 
Penn State's better as a basketball team, and like he's a great representative for the university. So like I, I'm very happy that they have a guy like him who's kind of the linchpin of this program. Uh, and we'll, you, you know, we'll just get right into it. Well, we we have our nice little outline here, and our third point uh, just says talks about some guys. Uh, and we'll start by talking about the ultimate guy, which is Lamar Stevens, who. The thing that jumps out for me, and I'll, I'll kind of throw this out to you guys, is that I think we agree that if Lamar wanted to, he could take a million mid-range jumpers a game. Uh, he could shoot the ball, you know, an ungodly number of times. But he does seem really content to defer to uh, Myron Jones, especially uh, the various guards when they're able to get stuff going, uh, and he'll. In those moments, he'll do some dirty work. He'll set screens. He'll try and rebound. Uh, he'll defend really hard. All those things. And I think, again, either of you guys could take this. When you have a guy like that leading your program, that makes it so it is easier to be in a conference as tough as the Big Ten and also rip off a six-game winning streak because he's just setting a standard and every other guy has to live up to that. And he's done it in a you know in a way that we haven't seen out of a Penn State guard in a, out of Penn State's best player in Eric. When was the last time you think that we've had a guy who is a leader the caliber of Lamar Stevens? It's DJ, right? Yeah, I was say, I mean DJ Nuba was, but the problem with DJ Nuba is he literally didn't have the supporting cast that Lamar has this year. Um, but yeah, no, Lamar definitely like you know you can't say enough good things about Lamar. Um, you know, and he, he's just a fierce competitor. Um, you know, it's the cliche of he, he just wants to win. It's not so much about the accolades. It's not so much about the individual stats. Um, he's about his business and he's all about winning. So he will do whatever it takes to win, whether that's on the defensive end, offensive end, deferring, taking the last shot. Um, you know, this is a kid who spent most of his time, um, you know, in the, in the high school and the AAU ranks coming up playing with Tony Carr. And Tony Carr was always the closer. Like he was always, I mean, it's not that Lamar, um, wouldn't have taken the last shot. It was just he never really had a whole lot of opportunity because the ball was always in Tony Carr's hands. Um, but these last two years, since since Carr has left, he has kind of really blossomed into being into being the guy. Um, and yeah, so it, it's it's you can see what happens. Um, you know, they keep saying about how the you know the rest of the players have have rallied around his decision to to return. Um, you know, the, the, it seems like the camaraderie and the chemistry and the brotherhood in that locker room is very strong. Um, these guys clearly like each other. Um, they have a great relationship with the coach. And you're kind of seeing that spill over into the, um, onto the floor and how they play. So, um, yeah, nothing – you can't say anything bad about Lamar Seasons. I don't know what, – what, what can you say other than he can't shoot threes? I, I, no idea. Like, he's the rare player who – Everyone in the program, you know, you don't see this all the time in college basketball. Every single person in the program has the utmost respect for him. And he, you know, he gives that back to everybody. And everyone seems to just feed off of that. Like, Chad, anything anything about Lamar that has really impressed you outside of all of this? Or, again, is there anything that you just want to speak about with him? Because, again, we cannot say enough good things about this dude. Yeah, I would say he's not really. I wouldn't say he's not. Defer, he's not like deferring to Myron. He's just playing within the offense. Right. I think. Um, 
and he's you can tell he's just totally bought in to what Pat wants to do. He's giving, you know, his assists are up this year. Um, he's blocking more shots. He's just seems like a more not more, but he's just always been a really good team player. You know, he's he's learned that playing on good Roman Catholic teams with Tony and Naz Bostic. Um and I will say just about his game as well. There's not you know, the game is even from the it's trickling down from the NBA level. It's it's, you know, threes and layups or dunks. And he's really just made a home, made a career of hitting that mid-range jumper. Um, I mean, he's just been cash money over the past, I don't know, like three or four weeks with that mid-range jump shot. Um, and it's such a weapon because it, it opens up the floor for everybody else. But, you know, teams have to guard him, like double him on those like baseline fadeaways, which is crazy. Um, and it's kind of like a, a zag when everybody else is zigging kind of thing too. So, uh just overall, like, could not be more pleased with Lamar, and could not be more pleased with how they played and rallied around him and Mike and um, and Pat, because this is this is the dream season, pretty much. Like, I didn't. This is beyond my wildest dreams for what this Penn State season could have been. Um, when you asked me before the season what what they're going to do, I thought, well, you know, bubble team probably. This is they have some guys, but was not a lot of question marks. And the Big Ten is super tough this year. And somehow they're we're in second place. We're we're fighting for a Big Ten title in the Big Ten's best year over like the last you know five six years. It's insane. And part of the reason, like I think maybe the thing that surprises me the most about this team uh, was something that we saw uh, on display against Minnesota. If I told either of you guys that. Daniel Oturu was going to have 32 points and 16 rebounds if Mike Watkins was going to play only six minutes. I think we would all probably agree that Penn State was going to lose that basketball game. But it didn't happen because John Hara gave them outstanding minutes. It, he played 34 of a possible 40 minutes, which, like, what was he? He was coming in, he was at, like, 15 or something like that. They are able, and Chad, I'll go back to you on this, this is a, an untold luxury for Penn State basketball. I don't feel like if Mike Watkins gets in trouble, they're going to be doomed because they have John Harris, because, uh, you know, Lamar has the physicality to battle with bigs if he has to. Like, uh, just talk about what Penn State has at the five, because of all the kind of unprecedented things that we have out of a Penn State team this year, I think that might be the most shocking. John would have been the best big man on how many of Pat's teams without Watkins. I'd say probably almost all of them. Um, He's just so solid defensively, literally and figuratively solid defensively. (laughs) Um, Grabs a ton of rebounds. I mean, Oturu had to work for every bucket he had. Like that was a, he was a, he's a hell of a player and he had to work really hard for those 32 points, whatever he scored. Um, I didn't, I think Pat had the same sentiment, but I didn't come away from that thinking our post defense was bad. I just thought Otru oh, was a hell of a player; he had to earn that. And um, you know, John John's done this before. He's been, you know, when Mike went out during the NIT run two years ago, John stepped in right away, like without much of a hitch. Um, I didn't think, and and kind of anchored that that front line uh, against some really good teams. So you know, he's been there before. Um, He's certainly capable. He's certainly um, one of the better success stories Pat's had in recruiting as a late signee who 
was going to play football for Army and developed into a quality, I'd say quality big man in the Big Ten. So, uh, but like most of the guys in this team can't say enough about John. And Eric, like, we're mentioning that, but at the same time, when Mike Watkins is on the floor, uh, which, you know, he's a, he's a center for Penn State, so he gets in some foul trouble. Uh, he's had some serious stinkers, but when he is locked in and engaged, there are not many centers who are able to impact a game on the defensive side of the ball in the country better than Mike Watkins. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's like we knew coming in this season that the whole strength of this team was going to be their front court um, with, with, I mean, everyone presumed like, you know, you got Stevens and you got Watkins there as seniors, um, you know, two of the best players in Penn State's like history, both as seniors, like this team was definitely going to rely on its front court. We didn't know the big 10 was going to be the year of the big man as there's, there's centers all up and down this conference. It seems like everyone's got um, a legit starter at the five. But then here we go. We got this guy, John Hara, off the bench, too, um, as Chad was saying. And, like, it's it's hard to, like, talk about Hara because, you know, he's limited. Like, the guy does not, you know, he's got 11.4 usage rate. Um, he's not a guy that will log starters minutes. Um, he's great. Coach's like, son, Jim Rat. Yeah. Whatever buzzwords. <laughs> Whatever buzzwords you want to throw like at him, that. I don't know. Yeah. But his, <laughs> but <laughs> we can't give him enough credit though for how he played uh, against Minnesota. With um, I, I forget the uh, box score plus minus on him was, but it was something absurd. Um, and, and we need that because you know Watkins, you know, as we know with his, he's just been so up and down. Um, some days he's out there and he's the best player on the court. Some days he's a complete no show. So um, he didn't get a whole lot of time against Oturu because. The three or four times he tried to guard Oturo in the post, Oturo drew a foul or scored on him. It, he was he was completely ineffective playing uh, position post defense. Watkins is more of a guy who's a good help shot blocker and can just rely on his athleticism. But when you know someone who can match his athleticism, he, he can struggle. So so we bring in Hera, and he's just the way he like how much he has pr- improved because you know he's always been gritty, thick, solid. <laughs> but he's always been kind of like out of control. Um, and the way he was hedging on those ball screens yesterday without fouling insane. was insane. Hedging. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Like he was for Marcus Carr didn't get anything for about 30 or about 25 minutes. And of course he went off, but um, Hera was really the main reason for, for Carr struggling on those ball screens and for Oturo not just scoring every time down the, on the, down the court. Um, and then also like, the progression on his offensive game, like, you know, he's shown ever since like his freshman year and during that NIT run that he could at least do the garbage plays. He can get offensive rebounds. He can clean up um, easy plays around the, on the, around the rim. But we're starting to go through some post-ups for him, and it's pretty wild. Like, last couple weeks during this uh, now six-game winning streak, they have definitely run post-ups for John Hare, and he has produced. I mean, granted, he's only made 19 buckets in 12 Big Ten games, but he's shooting 65%. So it's like whenever they go to him, more often than not, he's finishing. So um, his development's been crucial. Um, and, it, and it's nice to know that, yes, um, next year with, with Watkins leaving, you know, there's going to definitely be question marks. But at the same time, we at least have a guy who can eat at least 20 minutes a game there and give Penn State a chance to, to compete and, and potentially win in the Big Ten. Sir, Shout out Kevin Freeman. 
yeah, I'd say both both Johnny and uh, Mike's yeah, post moves have yeah. been a lot like more crisp and quicker this year. There's uh, the last couple of years with Mike. Sometimes he takes and John they take a little longer to get into their move in the post. But I feel like it's been so crisp and clean this year. Like they get the ball one move and go. You know. Uh, so yeah, shout out to Kevin Freeman doing a hell of a job. I think with the big man this year. Agreed. Uh, I do want to say, uh, put some respect on John's name because uh, those twenty nine field goal attempt on those twenty nine field goal attempts in twelve Big Ten games, he is second in the conference in two point field goal percentage. Do not tell me about the small sample size. I'm fully aware of that. Uh, and I also, for the year, he's th- he's thirty of forty four on the year. King. And <laughs> the other thing, I looked up his uh, box plus minus wall. Uh, Eric was talking. It was plus eleven point five. So. A gigantic effort out of him. Uh, And then one of the more unsung heroes of this season, and I'll let either of you just wax poetic about him, is Seth Lundy, who the thing that's so impressive about him to me is that in past years, Penn State would have needed him to be a major, major, major contributor. But this year they've been able to be pretty... You know, they're giving him starts. They're giving him the chance to play minutes, uh, sometimes pretty serious minutes in games where he has it. But Pat's been able to kind of play him like a freshman, which is not necessarily something Penn State's been able to do with their freshmen in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was uh, a a big piece coming in, another another one of the Roman Catholic pipeline. Um, You know, he was definitely a great get in recruiting once they got his commitment. Um, so we, and we didn't really know what we were going to get out of him, um, coming into this year, because like, like you just said, the depth, and we've been talking about, there was, there's seven or eight guys ahead of him in the, in the rotation coming into the year, you know, they were able to kind of slowly bring him along. Um, you know, he didn't play much at all in November and December, got some spot minutes here or there off the bench. Um, but now he is fully entrenched in the rotation, gives, uh, Penn State a, a bigger body on the perimeter, um, Great stroke. He's really picking up defense, which, you know, that's, there's always a, a strong learning curve for all freshmen on the defensive end. This ain't high school. You don't like defensive college basketball is much difficult than AAU or high school. So he, he's adjusted to that. Obviously, he's been busting his butt in practice to uh, improve on that. And, you know, it, it's he's been a boost. And, again, it, just, it helps having options when – because guys are going to have bad games. It just happens. You're going on these long road trips. It's college kids. Um, you know, there's going to be a time where a guy just doesn't have it that night, and it's you got to have that next man up that can come in and produce. Um, and he's been huge. Like he, like so. You know, going back a, a couple weeks ago during that three game losing streak, um, I don't really remember why. I never went back and like watched film or whatever. But um, he never got to play much in that Wisconsin loss. And I didn't really understand that. And I think Chambers kind of after the game reflected on that too and said, we need to give this kid a chance. Um, they came out the next game and he started with John Hara, played 26 minutes, scored 50, a career high 15 points. Um, and he's just been a starter ever since. And, you know, so not all games have been great, but um, he's contributing and he gives another threat from the perimeter. And, um, it's going to be great for him because you, you can tell he's clearly going to be a big piece um, of the future after this season. Um, they're definitely going to depend on him to be a scorer. Um, and it just seems like uh, he's really finding his role this year, though, which is which is great for his development as a freshman. Yeah, Chad, I, have you been surprised with what we've seen out of Wendy this year? 
Not really. I kind of thought he had, you know, coming from Roman Catholic would have that pedigree already, um, especially offensively. And he's definitely shown that he's more than capable of holding his zone between the jump shot. And um, he's penetrated a lot more recently, too, I feel like. And beating some guys off the dribble, got to the rim, uh, got fouled at least, if not made the bucket. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we have the expectation for our, our, our freshman now. Um, I think we'll have the same for DJ Gordon next year to come in and play right away and not have to star right away. But, you know, I expect him to contribute. I expect Seth to be a, a pretty key player next year. So that's just kind of the standard of the program right now is, you know, you bring some freshmen in there, they can play. Um, and we have, you know, newcomers every year who are able to contribute right away. So um, just it, it just speaks to the, the floor that Pat has raised here where, you know, you you don't have to have freshmen play right away, but when they do, they're usually pretty good. Moving on to Penn State's backcourt, um, I did not expect Myrie. He, he didn't play in the last game. I did not expect Myrie Jones to turn into what he has been this year, uh, averaging 14 points for Penn State when he's a team with three assists per game. Uh, is Maybe the most fun heat check guy that I've ever seen play at this program outside of Taylor Battle. Um, I I think that we all kind of expected Lamar to sh- shoulder a gigantic scoring load. Uh, I'll have Eric do this because I know he wasn't as high on Myron uh, when he was coming <laughs> into the program. Can you just talk about this guy? Because he has been just unreal for the Nittany Lions when he's been on the floor this year. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I, he's been the unsung hero of the season. Um, I don't think any of this. I don't think Penn State's in their position, like in this second in the Big Ten position, fighting for the conference title without him. He no is. Um, his development has been, and, and it hasn't gotten enough press, or people haven't really been talking about it enough. It's it's pretty crazy, um, and obviously, I, I I was dead wrong on him. Um, so Penn State recruited him. After Tony Carr had announced that he was leaving and, and a scholarship opened up, and they got this kid from Alabama, and you know we've we talked over and over again about how Chambers focuses on recruiting Philly and recruiting DMV and staying local and getting really talented kids. So here they are, and they're they're recruiting this Myron Jones out of Alabama, and he had a he had a good twenty four seven ranking. Um, I know he had scored a lot on the AAU circuit. But what was weird to me was that he was committed to Memphis. And he was committed to Tubby Smith. And before you know, Penny took over that program, Tubby's program was, was a sinking ship. Um, it was kind of only like a matter of time before they moved on from Tubby Smith. So it wasn't really a surprise that he became available. But what was weird to me is that here's a kid. He, he was like um, potentially like he was in the running for class valedictorian in his high school class. So it's like, you know, there's no great concerns there. Um, supposedly a great score and he's, he, he became available like late in, you know, in the spring cycle. And usually in the spring cycle, there's, you know, especially with so many people leaving or transferring after the season, um, coaches can be found scrambling for recruits. And it just didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me that Penn, like there's this kid, if he's a high major talent, why nobody was jumping in for him. Um, but you know, everybody's loss is Penn state's gain. Like Chambers, and, and his staff, I don't know if it was Ergo, whoever was keeping tabs on him, because he wasn't even someone that we were really even aware of during the normal recruiting cycle. That was back for the 2018 class when they were 
focused on Rob Bolton and Miles Dredd, and they got them as early commits. Um, so, so Myron just kind of came off the radar. It was kind of like a, you know, why are they taking this guy? What's he going to produce? And then his freshman year, um, he didn't really produce a whole lot. He, you know, he, he obviously just with the way Penn State recruited, you know, Rob Bolton wasn't the target. Like he was the priority. He was probably promised to, to, to have the opportunity to take over for Tony Carr if he left early, you know, all that. So they put the ball in Bolton's hands. You know, Bolton's a great player too. But Jones kind of only got uh, a bench role last year, and he did not look good in most of the games that he came in off the bench, putting up reckless shots with a funky release. Um, you know, and then he's a freshman, so he wasn't really, you know, great defensively. And all of a sudden, coming into this year, you kept hearing Chambers kind of say, "Well, Myron Jones is shooting the ball really well. He's playing really well in practice. He's going to be great." And it was like, "All right, well, apparently they really have high expectations for Myron Jones." And he's been in the starting lineup from day one this season and has just completely erased the memory of, of Rob Bolton from last year. So, you know, him transferring last year under those, like, uncertain circumstances of, of why apparently it wasn't basketball-related. Clearly something happened off the court uh, that didn't sit well with him and his family. He transfers out. He gets a waiver at Iowa State. And obviously there's no transparency with the NCAA with that. So we, we really don't know what happened. But the NCAA obviously thought it was bad enough to let him play this year. You know, and, and those are the types of, like, transfers and decisions that kind of cripple Penn State's program year after year. Like, they, they spent all this time recruiting a player that usually – because, you know, Rob Bolton had a lot of the high major offers. He could have gone to a lot of different schools – comes to Penn State, they invest a whole year of development in them, and then all of a sudden he just transfers right when, you know, it seems like everything's coming together. And um, Myron has just completely erased the concern of that from last, like, over the offseason or whatever. He's come in and no, no one's even talking about Rob Bolton anymore. It's all been about Myron Jones because he has been shooting lights out. The guy is an elite shooter. He's buckets. Like, he's been – can shoot all the shots – Pretty deep range, off the dribble, in transition, off the catch and shoot. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I won't forget the one Ohio one possession in the Ohio State game. Um, you know, and the other thing too, like I didn't even talk about this. He, he's like running point card a lot um, with whenever you know Jamari not being much of a initiator on offense. He definitely carries a lot of that load as well when he's out on the floor. So there was one possession Ohio State tried to zone us. Like they've been playing man forever came out of a timeout and they went zone and Myron immediately recognizes it and starts, he, he tells somebody, I think it was Seth Lundy or somebody, he tells somebody to get in the middle of the zone to uh, draw the, 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 the defender at the top. And he just slides over the wing and just waits, like passes it back to the top of the key and just waits for the pass back and just immediately launches a three. And it's nothing but nylon. It's like, this kid's playing out of his mind, super confident. Um, and he is carried on. Obviously, you know, does Penn State beat Michigan State if he doesn't go six for eight from three? Absolutely not. Um, so, so he honestly, like, there needs to be some more hype about him. He, I think he's got a great chance of being a third-team All-Big Ten player this year. Um, and, and he is really the biggest reason why we should remain optimistic about this program after this season. You know, um, in Penn State's history so often when they actually have a good year like this, you know, then it's back to ground zero and everyone leaves. Um, obviously, they're losing a huge piece in Lamar Stevens, and, you know, Watkins is a huge loss as well. But there's some players that are hopefully going to stay here. I don't know why anyone would leave after the year that they have. But, you know, if Myron comes back 
next year they immediately have an all Big Ten level scorer, a leading scorer. Like he he will be the guy. And um, credit whoever we want to credit, like the coaching staff, um, him sticking with Penn State because I think there was a chance, you know, he could have transferred as well last year. Um, when you pick up guys in spring. Usually that's not really like the number one option. Like they didn't really go through a normal recruiting process. They kind of have to make a decision at that point. You know, here's a kid from Alabama coming all the way up north. He's kind of a transplant. You know, how well did he um, fit into the culture of the program in addition to not really playing a whole lot as a freshman and not really playing well as a freshman? But he stuck it out, came out here, and um, it's been unreal to see to see his development this year. And Chad, like, the thing that sticks out, I think the thing that sticks out for me outside of the fact that, like, he can pull up from off the bounce from deep and just, you know, nothing but net. Absolutely, like, for the first couple of games, it felt like maybe what he was doing was a bit fluky. But it's almost seemed like as the year has gone on, he's gotten a little bit better. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. No, no question about it. Um, You know, Last year that we had the Virginia Tech game, that was the Myron Jones game. And now this oh, year yeah. there's been like four or five or six Myron Jones games. Um, it's kind of stunning to see a player who was so seemingly so undisciplined last year in his shot selection and just, you know, shooting shooting on sight whenever he got the ball. Partially, I mean, I remember Pat even saying in press conferences that his job is to shoot. So we want him out there. We want buckets. We need him to shoot. Vinny and he took it very Johnson. literally. Yeah, he <laughs> took it very literally. So... Um, to see him play this year, play so disciplined, he doesn't turn the ball over very much. The whole team is – that's another you know, big thing that Penn State's had success with this year is just not turning the ball over, not committing live ball turnovers so much. Um, but, my, I mean, Myron set an example for everybody. He's, he's very um, decisive and careful with, with the ball. Um, his shot selection at times is still a little not ideal, but – you know, for a kid who's shooting forty percent from three, like you, you let him, you let him shoot, and he's paid that confidence off. So, um, just kind of about time too that Penn State got like a late signee to be way better than anybody anticipated. Because <laughs> I feel like every other big Big Ten program does that, like Michigan especially. Um, so, you know, the luck is there. The luck's here. It, it, and Eric did mention this, and I have. Uh, double check this. And I do like saying this as frequently as possible because it's hilarious to me. Uh, if you're going off of 24-7's recruiting rankings, not their composite, but like the site's rankings, Myron is the best recruit in program history. Uh, he, he is exactly one spot better than Tony Carr was in his recruiting class. So just a little funny thing I like mentioning about him. Uh, I do want to talk about somebody who's kind of on the other side uh, of the coin, both in terms of the hype that they brought into Penn State uh, and how they impact this team. That's Jamari Wheeler. Uh, I don't think there's much we could say about Jamari other than I don't know if there's a single human being that would like to be checked by him. Uh, Chad, anything that you want to say about Jamari who you know is as good of a defensive guard as you're going to see in this sport? He's a dog. Uh, just setting the tone defensively every time because i mean you know it's nice to have a guy at the point of attack defending you know cassius winston the other night against michigan state just going at him every possession like cassius at the end he turned it on a little bit but i didn't think he had a great game until you know 
Jamari picked up those fouls and wasn't able to to be in his face every possession. So um, his shot looks a lot better. He looks like he'll be, you know, he looks confident now at least. He doesn't seem like he's a de- like a deer in headlights every time he has to shoot the ball when he's left open. Um, you know, just it speaks to the development of every, every player in this program. Jamari is no exception. He's been, you know, he's the cut down his turnovers. I will say that's the one thing about Jamari. But other than that, like, the you, you know, you trade that for the energy he brings on, you know, on defense and in the huddle. Um, just a terrific, you know, leader and setting an example for the younger players and uh, for everybody, really, just to, to keep intensity up. So, you know, he's kind of the heart and soul of the team. That's a little, that's another cliche, but I think it's pretty true about, you know, his defensive intensity because that's where it's always started for Pat. And, you know, he clearly re- rewards or loves seeing that in his players and rewards his players who show that. So can't say enough about Jamari either. <laughs> just like yeah. everybody else in this team. Yeah, and in uh, in the Minnesota game, like, Marcus Carr did not get anything until Jamari had to go. Like, Carr looked like he was in for just an absolute horror show until Jamari went to the bench for a little bit and he was able to, you know. Yeah, Jamari, Jamari fouled him on that three-point attempt, mm-hmm. got him on the elbow on that, and he had to sit, and then Carr went on a huge tear after that. Yeah, and that basically got Minnesota back in the game. Well, not basically, that did get Minnesota back in the game. Like he's it, Eric, is there anything you'd like to add about Jamari and what he's able to bring to this program on either end of the floor? Yeah, I mean, I'll be uh, I'll be honest, and I'll, I'll try to disagree a little bit here. I'm I'm a lot less bullish on, on Jamari just because he's a very polarizing player. Because um, you know, you definitely can laud his defensive intensity. He's definitely tone center. He embraces the challenge of always guarding um, the other other team's best guard, and and that's that's definitely valuable. But offensively, he can be very frustrating, especially when. Um, in transition, like his, this is a guy who barely his usage rate in Big Ten play is under ten percent. Well, the guy never does anything on offense, and even then, though, he's still turning the ball over um, frequently. So he's he's just gonna be in the right situations, and I think the, the team that Penn State has now, he can definitely thrive. Um, you know, Chambers always says, "All stars in your role." His role is obviously to lock down the other team's best player, and he is definitely a dog in that regard. He will get under player skins. He will be on their hip the entire game. But I just really struggle with him sometimes on the offensive end, um, especially when Penn State's, uh, you know, if Lamar's not on the floor and they're in a potential scoring drought, I really struggle to see Jamari out there as well because he really does not – I wish he would shoot more, honestly. Like, it's great to see him mm-hmm. shooting threes more. I never really thought his stroke was that bad. I mean, he's got a no. good release. Um, he just seems like a guy, much like Tim Frazier was, that until he kind of busted out of it, he just he just does not want to shoot. He does not. That's just not in his DNA. Um, and there are some times where defense is just sagging off him so much, you just want to be like, you, dude, you just got to shoot the ball. And so it's great to see him doing that more often now. And obviously, you know, we can talk great about it now because he's three for four in his last three games. Um, hopefully he does that more. But I struggle sometimes because he's just not able to um, give anything on offense in certain certain games i hope that didn't come across as too negative no and like in a way that makes that makes what happening against minnesota so surprising because like we don't expect like part of the reason jamari is able to be effective 
is because he has Myrian Jones next to him, and Myrian is a nuke. And when he's out of the game, like I, when he's out of a game, I feel like we're probably having a little bit of skepticism uh, about what Penn State's going to be able to get out of its backcourt. And obviously, the the big catalyst for the win against Minnesota was Lamar, uh, but. You know, Jamari, I didn't think he... Like, I think the Minnesota game kind of showed what he needs to be on this team. Uh, just what he is able to bring defensively. Uh, he turned the ball over two times in 30 minutes, which, like, I... If you tell me that we're getting that out of Jamari Wheeler every night, I'm going to be... I'm going to like Penn State's chances a decent amount. Uh, but he he's certainly a work in progress. Like, he reminds me uh, of... it. You know, he's obviously not as savvy of a point guard, but, like, Rajon Rondo had a, had a stretch of two years where he shot, like, 37% from three on two attempts per game, and he wouldn't shoot them unless he was so wide open that the defense, like, it legitimately just seemed like the defense forgot to guard him. And he is, Jamari is that exact same thing about him. And I like how you mentioned Tim. Like, at a certain point, you, there's just a mental block that you have to get over sometimes with shooting threes where you're going to miss a bunch of them. Just let yeah. it rip, let it rip two or three times a game. Like it's perfectly fine. Yeah, well, I mean, another big thing with him is that he's always going a thousand miles an hour, um, especially like in transition. I feel like some, that's that's definitely another thing that can be frustrating for me is some of the just reckless turnovers he has in, in transition because usually it's right off of a, a great play that he made. I know against Michigan State, I think he had like two steals in the backcourt just by making great individual plays. And then he immediately gave it right back by trying to go like one-on-one or one-on-two and putting up a terrible shot. It was just like, well, you're just wasting energy at this point, man. What are you like? What do you, you know? So he can get, it's just like, for me, it's like, you know, here's an incredibly gifted athlete. Um, you know, he's probably always been a point guard playing, playing hoops. Just how are you so loose with the ball? Like it, it's just, it can really frustrate, frustrate some watching him sometimes, but. But he makes up for it on the defensive end, without a doubt. Uh, what, Chad? Anything you would want to add, or should we talk about how Penn State's backcourt has like depth to it? Just on Jamari, I would say he should try out for the NFL and play defensive back oh, probably yeah. at, at the end of his oh, career. Oh, without a doubt, questionably, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's a good situational player. Probably playing a little too much, but again, what? For what Pat wants to do on defense, like he's kind of the perfect point guard, and yeah, obviously the turnovers are a huge issue. But you know, if they need a bucket. You can always bring in Curtis Jones. Yeah, which that leads in pretty nicely to. You're welcome. Thank you, uh, Miles <laughs> Dread, Isaiah Brockington, Curtis Jones. Uh, Dread has been, you know, he got moved uh, to the bench a few games ago. He seemed like he was in a bit of a shooting slump, and it seems like he's re- he's starting to get to a point where he's getting out of it. Uh, but those three guys, they give Penn State something really unique in that it, you can usually rely on at least one of them to give scoring, but you can always rely, I would argue, on all three of them to just give something positive during a game. And Chad, do you want to talk about just... Even if it's not via scoring, even if they can't do that, these are a trio of guys who, when they when Penn State needs something out of them, like they've generally been able to answer the call that Pat Chambers has made to them. Yeah, I feel like Miles is a pretty mature player 
um, some of the shot selection recently aside, I mean, his shot is back. Thankfully, it seems like um, I think the his regression of the means coming in a big way down the stretch here. Um, and he, you know, I think defensively he's very valuable. He's a big body. He can guard fours if you need to. Um, he's a great passer, great vision on offense, uh, shoots 90% from the line. Can't discount that ever. Um, he is going to be a big part of this program the next two years. Like I feel pretty confident saying that. Um, and then Curtis is, his percentages aren't great, but you know, he's kind of the backup playing to Myron. If Myron's not going, he's kind of the, the microwave guy off the bench. If you need him, um, that Michigan game, you know, case in point there, 18 points off the bench in the second half alone. Um, and Brock is just another, you know, the Josh Reese comparison is always there as a lefty, but he's a, he's a very different player. He's an outstanding, I would say an outstanding finisher at the rim compared to Josh, at least. Um, you know, he had at least, I think three or four buckets at the rim against Minnesota last, last Saturday. So um, just again, you know, we're losing Curtis after this year, but um, they just provide, you know, again, you can go, kind of go with a hot hand now with whoever's playing the best and put them at the two or three and, you know, get him out there and, and let him let him roll. So, uh, just you know, again, it speaks to the quality depth that this this team has that we've never seen that I can remember ever seeing for Penn State. Yeah, and just on Dred's shot, like the thing, the reason that I found it so maddening that he wasn't hitting more threes is because like he was fantastic at hitting threes that would go like halfway down and then pop out. So I I do agree with and appreciate what Chad said uh, about Dred's shot seeming like it's going to be coming pretty closely. Uh, Eric, I want to ask you just your thoughts on all three guys, but then with specifically with Dred, um, I think he gets labeled as a shooter because he's obviously a very good shooter, but he does so much you know, he seems like a guy who's just able to fill in gaps for this program in a way that I feel like labeling him as the team shooter kind of sells short what he is able to do. Yeah, I agree. Um, offensively, that's kind of really his role um, as far as point production. He just shoots threes. Um, but we kind of knew that's what we were going to get with him when he was coming into the program. He's been a rec- he's been committed for a long time. Um, heck, I think he was committed before. Lamar and Tony were even on campus, and um, we knew he would be a four-year college player. He, you know, his he definitely just because of his um, just physically, he's not going to be a guy that's doesn't have explosive athleticism. Um, you know, and he's kind of always was growing up. He always kind of played inside, and now he's kind of have to, you know, since he's only six four, he's got to stay out on the uh, on the perimeter and develop his guard skills, which he has done a great job the last couple of years. Um, so yeah, you know, people just look at him as a shooter and then, you know, he went through that shooting slump, um, and arguably he's still in this shooting slump, although in the last four games he's made, um, 10 threes, which is great. That's back to his, his freshman level production. Um, but defensively though, he's just really improved, um, can switch and guard bigs and, and out in the perimeter. Um, and he does a lot of things that people do not see, um, especially his critics who are just like, well, this guy isn't making any shots. He's useless. No, he, he definitely does a lot of other well-rounded um, guy who can play hard on both ends. 
And um, he just seems to make a big play when Penzi needs it most, whether that's a, a big three. He made a huge three in yesterday's game, which I think is why we're mostly optimistic that his shooting will come back around. Penzi could certainly use it. Um, you know, a three he made off of a dead possession towards the end of the game yesterday when Minnesota was making things tight was, was huge. Um, so, he, yeah, he was definitely going to be a program player, four-year guy. He's definitely going to be looked to as a captain next year even if he's not the guy like Myron, who's going to probably produce the most points. Um, just a great kid, high character, high IQ player, um, and, and definitely fits the mold of what Chambers looks for. But, um, you know, moving on to the other two guys, I think we got to uh, give credit to Chambers for these transfers. He hasn't always, you know, hit gold in the transfer market. Um, you know, he kind of got DJ right away, and then kind of all of his transfers since then have not really panned out. John Johnson, um, Hive, what's but- going you guys are ruining yeah, some, some of my trivia questions later, just so just a heads up. <laughs> well, sorry, sorry to hear that, but yeah, no. So, so starting with Brock, um, you know, I definitely had high expectations for Brock. I knew how athletic he was, um, and, and again, got got rave reviews from the, the coaching staff. Um, and there's definitely some similarities with Reese, but I also agree that he's he's definitely not the same player. You know, Reese is obviously was such a freak. Um, with his defensive instincts and, and jump and passing lanes. Um, you know, Brockington is not for, I don't think he's ever going to be at that level. But at the same time, Brockington is quick um, and is a freak athletically and definitely has good length, but he, he definitely can cause some deflections out there. Josh was definitely a better passer, but Reeves or um, Brock is definitely a better finisher. Um, and he, he's come up with huge performances as well. So it's just great to see these guys all mesh well. Um, you know, Brock's definitely, you know, kind of Brock kind of like last couple of games really kind of was in a slump there until yesterday when he, we scored 10 off the bench. Um, but when he's not producing, then you got Curtis Jones coming in. And Curtis Jones has bailed this team out in a number of wins as well. So um, it's just great to see them have their seventh and eighth guys off the bench to be able to come in and score 15, 20 points in a game. It's not unheard of. Um, the opposing teams know they need a scout for it. Um, but they both really kind of complement what this team is trying to do very well. Um, so credit to Chambers and the coaching staff for identifying these guys, bringing them in. And, you know, fortunately we still got Dredd and Brockington for another couple of years. Yeah. With Brockington, he does this thing where like, he'll just take these freakishly long strides and like take off from way further away from the hoop than he probably should on Layup attempts, uh, you know, trying to get to the rim through traffic, all that stuff. And every single time I laugh because it's just funny that a person is able to do that. And with Dread, like, he's not, uh, you know, some savant of a passer. But I think he's really good at knowing when to make the right pass. Uh, didn't he, like, throw a he, – he threw a lob at, like, the very end of the Iowa game to Mike that was just, like – a really, really impressive thing. Like Mike got all the credit, but Miles saw that he had Mike and he was able to lob it up towards the hoop. Like he's able to do stuff like that on offense and do in the addition to being like a very smart defensive player. So like you mentioned there, it's just, I'm happy that Penn state's going to have guys like those two. Uh, And then Curtis Jones, he's going to be here for a year, but those two going to be in the program for some time. Uh, but I don't want to look too terribly big picture. I don't want to look 
uh, at the 2021-2022 teams don't look at recruiting, I want to look at this year because we're in the midst of something special. 18-5, and 8-4 and four in conference play, a game back of first place. Eric, you have some stats uh, of Penn State's T-rank in February for the past couple of years. And if these... I don't want to give away exactly what they are, but if being able to prepare a team to peak in February is a feature of Pat Chambers basketball teams, what we have seen in the month of January, I think should get fans like frothing at the mouth over what they have the potential to do this month. Oh, absolutely. I mean, at this point, if any Penn State fan that hasn't bought in, you're not a Penn State fan. Because I don't know what more you could ask this team right now. Um, for me personally, like coming in this season, um, I definitely had higher expectations than just being a bubble team. I, I might be uh, on my own on that one. But I thought with, you know, for the, the stars to kind of align in a sense for this program where they were going to get Stevens and Watkins back with whoever else they, they had in the program already, you know, it seems like, you know, this is kind of really what Penn, what Chambers is building towards. I mean, if you look at big picture of Chambers, his first five years, not a whole lot happened, but it was all towards building the recruiting to the point where he got these guys in the program. And then if you look at the last two or three years, um, you know, obviously they all got thrown in as freshmen. They didn't do very well. They won six conference games. Okay. And then the last two years, you know, 2018-2019, you know, obviously the 2018, 2018 team um, did he hit their peak, but they obviously did it too late and they had a poor schedule. They missed out on the NCAA tournament got a consolation prize last year probably shouldn't have started 0 and 10 that team wasn't terrible they were probably like an nit type team you know tony carl leaving was huge um but they kind of just they still underachieved in a sense like you know if you look at the kempom rings they've been a, a top 50 kempom team the last three years but all they had to show for it is just like one nit championship so coming into this year it's kind of like well, just making the NCAA tournament for me wasn't really going to be enough. I thought they were good enough to potentially, you know, enter the top 25, you know, be in the title race. But at this point, did I think that they would win six Big Ten games in a row, win at Breslin Center, be eight and four, one game back out of first place? And they have, oh, by the way, they already have the tiebreaker over the first place, you know, Maryland Terrapins. Um, at this point, everything's on the table because as, as you're alluding to, Bill, um, the last couple of years with these same players, uh, specifically the last two years, Chambers teams have turned it on after fe- once the calendar hit February. Um, the 2018 team was going through the, its adversity. You know, Josh Reeves got suspended for you know that four-game academic suspension, um, and then Tony Carr was kind of going through his his struggles, and then uh, somehow a, fl- a switch was flipped at Ohio State, and since then. If you recall, the, the best thing about uh, Torvik's um, site is that you can do these these queries and these sample sizes. So um, if you look at his ratings since Penn State was, since they flipped that switch in 2018, they ended up with the fifth highest rating in T-rank from February or from that Ohio State game through the rest of the season. The only teams ahead of them were Villanova, who won the national championship. Michigan, who, if you remember, went on a ridiculous tear at the end of that year. Um, Duke and Virginia. So they were they proved that they were an elite team in 2018. Problem is, it just came too late. Last year, 
you know, I don't. I mean, we we talked about it at the beginning. Like, what what a ridiculous turnaround to go from zero and ten to winning seven of the last ten regular season games. And when Penn State did that in Torvik's system, they were the twelfth best team in the country, twelfth um, best rating with bad sample size of how they played against elite Big Ten competition um, performance. The, to expectation, they were legit. So coming into this year. Obviously, Penn State's been pretty solid all year. They, you know, they had that blip in January where they lost three games. Um, but you know, here we are again. Lamar's starting to hit his stride. They've won six in a row. You know, it's kind of like everything's on the table here. And, and you've heard Chambers say it over and over and over again in his press conferences. We can get a lot better. And frankly, I've I've agreed with him. I, I didn't think you know we touched on Lamar. You know, he's playing better now, but he really hadn't been up until you know last two weeks. Um, you know, Miles Dredd could be shooting the ball better. Mike Watkins could be, you know, Mike Watkins literally gave nothing in the, in, against Minnesota. You know, we're not going to get that from him every night. Like he, we know the kind of player he can be. Um, so there's, you know, this team definitely still has room to grow. So at this point, you know, what are the expectations? You know, it's, it's kind of hard to say for sure. Like, I don't want to be like, oh, they need to win the big Ten championship. Cause like, it's just, it's just incredibly hard to do. But at this point, everything is on the table, and I just want to see them make a run at it. Like, you know, whether it's they lose on a buzzer beater or something. But right now, they've never put themselves in better position. They all seem healthy. You know, it's kind of like you couldn't ask for a better situation for Penn State basketball to be in on February 9th of any season. Like, this is unprecedented, and, you know, just go do the damn thing and win as many games you can. And it's hilarious because, like, the expectation is, like, the expectation probably should be that they're not going to keep winning every basketball game. But this team can go into any game against any team they play and have a shot. Like, they went to the Breslin Center and they were able to beat Michigan State. Like, they have beaten Maryland. Like, they've done things that we're just not used to a Penn State team doing. Chad, expectation setting. Like, what is your expectation for this team the rest of the year? Because we're kind of in uncharted territory. First off, I'd just like to provide Cliff's notes for uh, Eric's rant there. Uh, 18-5. and We're February's team. Fuck the bubble. Let's win the Big Ten. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Let's win the Big Ten. Like, win the Big Ten. Win the Big Ten. Let's do it. Why not? Like, they're... They have two, uh, da- I will say damn near guaranteed instead of total guaranteed wins left because it's college basketball and weird thing happened, but they're going to beat Northwestern twice. And then they have a chance, they're, they should be able to win how many more of these games, I don't want to say easily, but they should beat Illinois at home, they should beat Rutgers at home, they can go to Indiana, they can beat Indiana. Like, I just added five wins to the eight that they have right now. And then it's, you know, Michigan State has to come here. Iowa, they've beaten Iowa in already. Purdue, who knows? Like, something special is happening with this team right now. And I can't wait to see what they're able to do. And I'll go along with Chad. Why not? Like, to bring back an old Pat Chambersism, why not us? everything is there for the taking of this team. And now, and unlike past years where things have been on the table for them to take, I have full faith that they're going to be able to take them. Uh, I don't think there's too much else we could say about this team, uh, but and that's important. Talk seating. 
Uh, we're at an hour and three minutes, so I'm going to. We got like a year of Penn State basketball. Yeah, sure. Give the people what they want, man. Give the people what they want. We haven't given the podcast like a year, have we? Yeah, it's fine. Uh, I will say last time. Fine. I will say that my dream for seeding is that they get the four or the five seed with the opposite four slash five seed being Villanova because, oh, my God, do I want to see Penn State and Villanova play a basketball game. Um, yeah, for I, I think four or five is probably right. It, you know, barring them. That's where we are now, I'd say. Right. We're pretty firmly on the four or five line. Yeah. Right. And, like, they could they could fall down a spot or two, whatever. But it seems like this is a team that is legitimately a four or five. I mean, uh, do you guys – what do you think about Penn State seeding, Chad? I know you wanted to talk about this. Yeah, I, I think we have a legitimate case for a four seed. I, I know we were left out of the um, bracket preview show uh, last weekend or this past weekend, but I think right now we're probably right on that four or five line. And with the schedule we have coming up, like, you know, get lucky at or pull one out of at Purdue on Tuesday. Northwestern haven't lost to Illinois in, what, five years. Um, Indiana on the road, they're kind of a tire fire right now. Rutgers is a revenge game at home. Iowa away, difficult, but capable of beating them, obviously. Michigan State already, Northwestern. You know, I, I just went through what you just said, but you know, these games, all these games are on the table. It's possible, you know, win the Big Ten, talking two or three seed. It's not, it's not crazy. So, um, I mean, at worst, we're in the tournament. I think, you know, barring total collapse, which I guess is probably not not out of their own possibility with this program, <laughs> but we're being positive here, so um, we're in and. Uh, Let's go in the Big Ten. Let's get a two seed. Yeah. Uh, has there ever been a two seed uh, that has – we probably don't know this off the top of our heads a – two, a two seed that has on their resume a loss in which they blew a 20-plus point lead to a team outside of the Ken Palm Top 100? <laughs> I'd have to look that one up. Yeah. Well, my guess is it's <laughs> there, that probably hasn't happened all that frequently. So uh, why doesn't this team go out and make history? Eric, anything to add on Penn State seeding? Oh, no. I think it was BS that they weren't included um, in the preview show. Not so much that they weren't in the top 16, but then the uh, the the Duke athletic yeah. director had to go on and like make a side comment of like, oh, here's the other three teams that we considered. And it was like Iowa, Kentucky, and, uh, I think LSU. And LSU, it was just like, wait, what? Yeah, it was like, wait, what? I would have seen Penn State higher. Yeah, yeah, and I would have seen Penn State higher than all that. And it's really ridiculous because, really, the only knock on Penn State's resume right now is their their non conference strength of schedule, which has been something that has been talked about ad nauseum with this program forever. Because two years ago they went through it again. Um, you know, we know the um, how how faulty that uh, formula is. For calculating that, it's just strictly based on wins. Penn State's really getting screwed right now because they, you know, and, and you could criticize Penn State for for scheduling these bye games because it's not a surprise that Central Connecticut State is two and twenty two and twenty three or whatever the heck they are, and Maryland Eastern Shore is three and and eighteen or whatever their record is. I mean, they schedule some really awful teams, but at the same time, like really the difference, like Penn State's a really bring that strength of schedule number up, all they had to do was schedule, like, Drexel instead of them, or, like, Fairfield. And, like, does that really mean Penn State's a better team? Absolutely not. Like, Penn State probably would have won those games at home as well. 
you know, no one really cares about them. They're all buy games. Everyone plays them. But if you look at the team sheets, you know, when they spit, you know, everything was supposed to change two years ago when they went to this quadrant system, and you're supposed to have all these games in these quadrants. You know, Penn State did, did have like three or four like knockout games in the first two quadrants. You know, they got that huge win against Georgetown early in the season. Now it's not an amazing win because Georgetown's kind of had their struggles, but it's not like it's 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 still a quad one win. Um, you know, they played Alabama, they played Wake Forest, they played five of their 11 games were against Power 5 teams. It's kind of like, you know, they didn't really schedule nobody. It's just the way it's it's worked out is a lot of the teams that they played are just having down years, especially their low majors. So if that's the reason why Penn State's going to be seeded lower than they should be, I think that's BS. Um, so we'll see how it plays out here, especially when we get closer to Selection Sunday. But as far as Penn State's win projections... Um, it's pretty wild to me right now that Torvik's T-Rank has Penn State winning 13 or more Big Ten games. Like, has that like likelihood at like 60% that they win 13 or more, which is <laughs> wild. <laughs> wow. Penn State basketball. That's just – it's crazy, man. And, they, and his um, win projections give Penn State a 37% chance of, ha- of sharing the Big Ten title, <laughs> a 17% chance of winning it outright. And right now they have an 85% chance of getting that double buy in the Big Ten let's tournament. Go. Like that's what we were talking about, like at the beginning of this week. Oh, well, let's, baby, let's get the double buy. And now it's let's win the whole thing. So, uh, you know, I'm gonna hopefully we can keep this ride going for the next uh, week. You know, I got got a tough road game coming up against Purdue on Tuesday, but there isn't a team in this league they can't beat. So, you know, this should be a fun fun month here. Yeah, I, I do still find it funny that they lost. Uh, they were in the consolation game of the Barclays tournament, and it was they had to play. The team that came in fourth place was the second best team in that tournament. Just as an aside, also I watched that game at a Syrac- at a casino filled with Syracuse fans, and a lot of people looked at me weird uh, just with how I was screaming. Uh, I think that's it. Outside of the fact that Chad, uh, I, I just got one more thing before the floor that. over I, to I would you. Just say, yeah, I was. Hey, oh, go ahead. Uh, you could not convince me that the committee um, is not taking into account that we're Penn State, which is, it, and oh, that's yeah. why they didn't rank us in the top sixteen. Yeah, so agreed. Probably. Fuck them all. Yep. Yeah, that's a. I would name the podcast that, but I think <laughs> iTunes gets mad about profanity unless you say it. Say that you're going to be cussing, but whatever. Uh, Chad, you are taking the reins here because we're ending this uh, currently hour and 10 minute podcast with a game yeah i have a little trivia it feels like this is kind of the culmination and um you know the jumping off point as you as you will for the second era of penn state basketball under pat chamber so i just like to remember um the first eight years first eight nine years (laughs) of pat's tenure with uh I have six questions, and they all fall, fall into the category of remember some Pat Chambers guys trivia. Oh, God. So I'd like both of you to play and uh, make your best guess. And you, those of you at home listening, uh, please do your best and uh, say the answers out loud to nobody in particular. Okay. We'll start off with a little easy one. Uh, who was Pat's first high school commitment? Akosa Madden-Yabon. Yes. Bill Madden-Yabon. Madden-Yabon, yes. That's ah, I yes. Remember. My phone still actually autocorrects his last name, which <laughs> tells you how much of a psychopath I am. <laughs> uh, question number two. Uh, the grad transfer rule was implemented or, or 
uh, started really in, in 2011. Who was the first grad transfer to play for Penn State, and where? And from where did he transfer to Penn State? Alan Roberts, Miami, Ohio. Correct. Wow. The player to be named later in the Bill Edwards transfer, by the way. <laughs> uh, number three, who was Pat's first? Uh, so the, you guys know what the RSCI, Recruiting Service Consensus mm-hmm. Index. Um, who was Pat's first top 100 recruit based on that metric? Josh, I believe that was – no, I think it was Tony. I don't think Reese was in it. Bill, leave a guess. Tony Carr. Bill? Uh, I'll say Josh Reeves. It was Tony Carr, in uh, fact. Yes. 43rd uh, in 2016. Damn, okay. Nobody else has since been the top 100 either. So the only one we've had they, under Pat. They, we, they, they missed on Myrian, not anyone else. Clearly, yes. Well, yes. everybody <laughs> did except for us. And Tubby. Tubby got him T- too. Tubby knew this, yes. Okay. Uh, number four. Name the three players who transferred out to the University of South Florida during Pat's tenure. Peyton Banks, <laughs> Terrence Samuel, uh, Gino Thor. Yes. Well done, Bill. Well Thank done. You. All right. And next, the last two here. Real quick. I ju- yeah. Like, I forgot Terrence. I don't think the name Terrence Samuel entered my brain uh, at any time within the last uh, 24 months or so. So I'm very concerned about, like, how he was the first – he, he and Peyton Banks like immediately <laughs> popped in the same. Terrence is dude. He was national uh, champion. He yeah man. Technically yes. How could you forget? Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. So. <laughs> All right, uh, number five, uh, Lamar Stevens became the third two thousand point scorer in Penn State history a few weeks ago, and looks set to break Taylor Battle's record by season's end. Uh, which four players rounded the top five scorers who have played for Chambers, starting with uh, second after Lamar? So we need four four names here. Four names that like round out who scored the most points. The top five under Pat. DJ. Or players well, who players, guys- players who have played for Pat, not necessarily okay. done all their scoring under Pat. Okay. And only all at right. Penn State, I'll say too. Well, number two's got to be DJ. Two is DJ. Shep. At, uh, by the way, by the way, DJ had uh, eighteen hundred points in three seasons. <laughs> Absurd. <laughs> oh God. Three is real, real quick correct? before any before we move on. Yeah. Shout out DJ Newbill, like in general, shout out to forever DJ. and everything. Always in yes. Yo, NBL MVP uh, candidate. Let's go, DJ. Yeah. He's been killing it in his in the NBL out in New Zealand. Lamella Ball has nothing on him. No. Correct. Uh I will go with Shep Gardner. Three is Shep, correct. Uh Brandon Taylor. B Titty is fifth. Ooh. Now my little clue in the beginning, kind of not clue, but uh, stipulation gave it probably gave it away. Wasn't recruited. Oh, Fraser, Tim. Yes, yeah. correct. Tim at number four, fifteen hundred points. And last but not least, the ultimate challenge. Uh, if you don't know this answer, uh, don't consider yourself a Penn State fan. You can just stop listening to the podcast. Stop <laughs> watching games. You weren't, you're not a real, you're not a real one. <laughs> Pat's first season was 20, 2011, 2012. Uh, having joined from Boston. Of June, no, in June of 2011, six players from that, his first team, none of whom Pat recruited to Penn State, would eventually transfer and finish their careers <laughs> elsewhere. Can you name all six of them and bonus points for their destinations? Trey oh, Lewis. hell yeah, I'm ready for this. Trey Lewis and Matt Glover are the two that come right to mind, but I will get, I will let Eric 
Yeah, I want to hear this. See if Eric can get this. Yes. All right. So, so Trey Lewis yep. went Destination. to um, Cleveland State and then Louisville. Exactly how I have it written on my phone here. Yep. <laughs> Matt Glover went to San Francisco. Yep. Uh, Pete Alexis went to <laughs> Philadelphia University and became one of their all-time big yep. scores. That's how you know your brain. That's the brainworm answer. Uh, Pat Ackerman, he went yep. to. Um, didn't he go to Detroit? I would say it wasn't yes, Detroit. 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 All right, so that's four. That's... And you said six. Yep. Two so more. of the so of players that he inherited that left. Mm-hmm. So would Jermaine Inherited Marshall all. count? Jermaine Marshall counts. Yep. Oh. R.I.P. All right. So yeah, he, he grad transferred to Arizona State. Oh, there's one more. Um, Cam Woodyard didn't transfer, did he? Nope. No, he graduated. So. I'm gonna. Uh, I want to get this. Coop right now is just losing his mind. <laughs> no one is listening at this point, Chad. Come on. If you're, if you're still li- if you're still listening to this, no. please let us know. Listen, I refuse to to give up on this. Hold on. <laughs> um, I'm not gonna look it up. You better not. Uh, Search your soul, Eric. You know it's down there somewhere. <laughs> I feel like you might have to go really <laughs> far down for this. Oh, man. I, I'm, I'm blanking. This is embarrassing. He didn't leave. I'll give you a hint. He didn't leave that first summer when Pat came. The first so summer. He actually, played, he, he actually played mm-hmm. and then transferred? Yep. Another yeah. year, I believe. And then left. Oh, are we talking – well, Sasha left earlier. Are we talking about Sasha? Transfers only. Okay. I didn't count yeah, Sasha. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to give up. I don't want to uh, take longer. Bill, any guesses? Oh, God damn it. I think I just looked it up. Can I say who I'm... <laughs> it is. Is it Jonathan Graham? It is Jonathan Graham. Coop <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> was screaming that out. <laughs> oh, God oh, almighty. Oh, no. And, of course, he went to Maryland. You know, Ed DeCello said John Graham was going to be all Big Ten. <laughs> he was that one game against us uh, the two years that later. Was a, that was a quote in like a Maryland paper like right before <laughs> DeCello's left. He's like, oh, John Graham, just right. He's going to be amazing. He's going to be all Big Ten potential. And Nope. So that's a little uh, refresher course for anybody who's just getting into the team now. Any bandwagoners. Um, so now you know all that information. You and- can uh, – Act like a true Penn State basketball fan. And to answer the question that all of you have, yes, we have a sickness, but mm-hmm. we're very down with the sickness. Finally paying off, baby. It is, it is taken – listen, it took uh, – I don't remember the Bible story, however many years in the desert to get to the promised land. Uh, it, it, it took a few 40 minutes. 40 days, for 40 nights, Bill. 40 days, 40 nights, yeah, whatever. I – I ha- I'm not up to date on my exodus. Uh, but yeah, I-, I hope that y'all enjoyed this episode of the podcast more than others because uh, it's Penn State basketball. It's good Penn State basketball things. This is uh, We haven't really gotten, to go- gotten into this territory in a while, but here's to hoping that uh, this becomes something... Yeah, ever? I-, I mean, they've yeah, and in- ever. So here's <laughs> to hoping that uh, this is... I don't want to say a new standard because I think we would all become completely insane people, even more completely insane people real quickly if that happened. But here's to hoping that, uh, like Chad mentioned a few minutes ago, this is kind of the dawning of a new era for Penn State basketball. 
Thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're supporting the site by buying shirts, reading, sharing, all that stuff, following us on all of our various social media uh, platforms. And make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all of the various places where you can find it or on Spotify now. Make sure you're going over to the Apple Podcasts, subscribing there, uh, and leaving us a five-star review. Uh, yeah, one last time for my co-host Chad Markulix and Eric Gibson. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.